This is episode number 61 with data science speaker, Daniel Whitenack. Welcome to the Super Data Science Podcast. My name is Kirill Eremenko, data science coach and lifestyle entrepreneur. And each week we bring you inspiring people and ideas to help you build your successful career in data science. Thanks for being here today. And now let's make the complex simple. everybody and welcome to the super data science podcast very excited about this new episode today we've got an interesting guest daniel whitenack daniel is a data scientist at pachyderm but in addition to his normal role he is a renowned speaker in the world of data science uh, daniel presents at dozens literally dozens of conferences per year and he talks about things like python pachyderm the language go uh, machine learning and data science workflows, machine learning workflows, and lots and lots of other topics. So today uh, we had a very great opportunity to have Daniel on the podcast. And what we spoke about uh, were quite a few things. We talked about Pachyderm and what uh, the mission of the company is. We also talked about data science workflows. And I think that was a very powerful part of uh, data science, something that is developing in data science. And if you want to see and prepare yourself for the future of data science this can be a very valuable set of skills to look into and in this podcast you will find out exactly what data science workflows are and how you can get more involved in learning about data science workflows and uh, getting kind of uh, some up to speed with what is going on in this space of data science uh, then we also talked about a bit of on the programming language of go we talked about mentorship and what role it plays in both the careers of mentees and mentors. Uh, of course, towards the end, we talked about a bit of Daniel's experience in data science. So a very uh, saturated podcast. You'll learn quite a lot, especially if uh, you are interested in understanding the end-to-end -end data science process. So not just the ad hoc analytics, but uh, becoming a fully a well-rounded data scientist, you will get some very valuable tips from today's show and on that note i can't wait to get started so without further ado i bring to you daniel whitenack a data scientist at pachyderm welcome everybody to the super data science podcast today i've got a very exciting guest a multi-time speaker at data science conferences daniel whitenack hi daniel how are you going today Hi, I'm doing really well. Thank you for having me. Oh, thank you for coming. It's uh, it's a great honor to have you on. I've seen a couple of your YouTube videos, and uh, actually, uh, we we crossed paths at the ODSC conference. Tell us a bit about where you're calling in from. Where are you located? Yeah, I'm in uh, Lafayette, Indiana, which is about two hours from Chicago and an hour from Indianapolis. Mm. Um, it's where Purdue University is, if if anybody um, is familiar with that. That's very interesting. But it's it's a rare case to for you to be at home, right? As I understand, you're like <laughs> you're at all of these conference conferences, always presenting. Tell tell us a bit more about that. Like, why are you so passionate about presenting at conferences? Yeah, I, I've really found that um, where I where I learn the most is when I'm in community with other data scientists, with other engineers. Um, I really thrive off of things like code reviews and, and other things like that, I think, have, you know, really been where I've learned. And, and so I've gained an appreciation for the community, the, the tech community, and um, want to be able to be involved as much as I can in that community and give give back content and really you know get feedback on the projects that I'm working on, hear about what other people are working on, and yeah, just be be plugged in in that way. Gotcha, gotcha. And uh, what what do you present on most of the time? Like, what do you find yourself, or is it like like a variety of topics that you talk about usually? Yeah, so there there's a few different areas, I guess. Uh, I talk pretty frequently about Pachyderm, the open source project that I work on full time. Then I also sometimes talk about Go. So I'm a, a little bit of a Go programming language nerd. 
and sometimes talk about that and some of the interesting data things going on there. And then the third case, I, I, I'm really passionate about data science workflows and you know sustainable data science workflows. Kind of as we as we develop the field of data science, what are the best practices that we need to be following and, and those sorts of things? That's a really interesting topic for me. So. Wonderful. And I hope we can uh, cover that off and go into a bit of more depth on the podcast about that. I think that's, that's a very exciting topic as well. Yeah. Okay, beautiful. So um, so tell us a bit about what you do. Like, who is Daniel Whitenack? What are you currently doing? You said uh, you mentioned you're working at Pachyderm, yeah? Yep. Yeah, Pachyderm. So um, I'm, I'm working full time with Pachyderm. They're an open source project, like I mentioned, but there's also a company around it. So similar to like Docker and Docker, um, there's a there's a company and an open source project. It's a project that does um, data pipelining and data versioning. Mm-hmm. And so I work full time with them as kind of a, a data scientist. Mo- most of the rest of the team are, you know, really brilliant distributed systems and back end engineers that, that have really built out the core of the system. And I kind of came on as a data scientist because the really a lot of where the system is relevant is for data scientists and for data engineers. So I'm kind of like a liaison to that community. I also work with a lot of our users that have machine learning workflows and, and other data science workflows and help them help them utilize the system. Mm-hmm. And then also produce a lot of, you know, tutorials, demos, work on the docs, and um, and then you know occasionally talk at, at different events. So I'm a little bit a little bit all over the place, but general kind of data science guy. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> um, and uh, tell us about how how is the product or that you produce the things that you create at um, Pachyderm? How is that used by uh, users or companies or other people that are users of um, these uh, things that you create? Sure. Yeah. So one of the things that that I worked hard on is really trying to understand, I guess, a a sustainable production scale machine learning workflow, kind of like a template that people could use in for their various machine learning uh, workflows, whether that's in Python or R or TensorFlow or whatever it is. So I kind of created this template and then wrote wrote up some docs around it. And then when users come in with those sorts of workflows, then there's you know an R example, a Python example, a TensorFlow example that I've written to kind of point them to and show them how they can can start developing a a data pipeline with this kind of template as as a model. So that's kind of one one example of, of something that I've worked on. But um, right now I'm working on some some streaming examples, um, streaming analysis, and kind of figuring out again. What are what are some of the best best practices around you know with our system around streaming workflows and how how is the you know the easiest and best way for a data scientist or an analyst to start start streaming analysis in Pachyderm and kind of start from you know not not nothing but kind of like a template that's good to a, a good foundation. Okay, gotcha. So is it, is is my understanding correct that somebody has a data science project, and then they want to uh, turn that into something that's repeatable, something that can uh, be uh, taken from end to end, not just like as an ad hoc analysis, but can be done many, many times. Then they use Pachyderm to create that workflow, and then uh, they just have to input the data, uh, tweak the parameters, and they get their output. Is that is that what Pachyderm is for? Exactly. Yeah, it's it's a production environment for um, data science workflows. So. For example, you can create a data pipeline that includes model training and pre-processing and inference and have all those steps, you know, connected and also be scalable and like you said, be repeatable as well. So it's a very um, it's a very holistic, uh, you know, view of these are all the steps of my processing. I'm going to connect them all so I know what's going into where. And then I'm also going to version and track my data so I know what data was coming into and out of the various stages. And so I have reproducibility and kind of tracking or provenance of all of these things that are happening. Gotcha. I understand. And uh, um, so until <laughs> until you gave me that sticker at uh, ODSC, remember you gave me the sticker for Pachyderm? Yeah. Like with the elephant? Yeah. 
It's yeah. a pretty good sticker. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And until you gave me that sticker, I, I honestly didn't know about Pachyderm. And so what would your uh, what would you say to people who are listening to this podcast who don't know about Pachyderm? Why would you say that it can be an advantage for them to go and learn about Pachyderm and start applying that in their work and see how they can bring that into their organizations? Yeah, so, so I, th I think really, you know, in the data science community, there, there's a lot of struggle right now around giving data science teams ownership of their data pipelines. And, and there's a lot of inefficiencies in data scientists actually pushing things into production. A lot of times because, you know, maybe the only, you know, distributed framework or production scale framework that they know about are like Java Scala type frameworks like um, Hadoop and Spark. And, you know, maybe the data science team you know, as a lot of data science teams are, they, they don't really like working in Java Scala, or maybe they have a bunch of different tools that they're using, you know, R and Python and other things. So Pachyderm is a really great solution for those data science teams to be able to create a cluster very easily that's able to run, you know, production scale things, but also able to run the things, you know, the tools and the frameworks and the languages that they're used to, that they already like, so that they don't have to waste time re-implementing things in Java Scala. They can have a stage in R, you know, a stage in Python. They can run a bash script in one stage. And all of that's kind of unified and tied together in a, in a very unified and, and very sustainable way. But um, it also allows them to maintain that simplicity and ownership over the, the tools and the frameworks that they, that they really like using. Understand, understand, and probably like a, a big advantage to that as well is that in a lot of organizations, data science is seen as kind of like an additional function. And once you've done the analytics, you pass on the models and everything to the business intelligence group. And I, I've been in a situation like that where you have to pass it on to uh, the BI team, and then they re-implement all of that in SQL. Right. And in this case, you're kind of like taking ownership of that. So no, you don't have to tell somebody how to re-implement that. There's no middleman. You have full ownership and full control of the uh, data science um, models and things that, you know, products that you develop for the organization. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. And and in in doing that, really what you're doing is you're setting yourself up, hopefully for a little bit easier management of your processes. Because when you have that sort of handoff scenario, whether it's re-implementing in the business intelligence team or you're giving it to Java Scala engineers to implement on like big data infrastructure, what you end up with is data scientists who don't understand the implementation and engineers who don't understand the the modeling or the analysis. So then when things go wrong or when you need to update things, there's a lot of inefficiencies, you know, with understanding who should, you know, who should I contact, who has the right knowledge to fix this. And there's also an efficiency, of course, in the re-implementation. Gotcha. Understand. To totally agree with that. And um, yeah, that's really cool. Like I, I already learned so much. We might as well just end the podcast here. I think that was so much value. <laughs> um, I'm joking, of course. We, we've got so much more to cover. Are you happy to go into a bit of data science workflows and tell us a bit about that? Sure, I, I would be happy to. Okay, cool. So what is a data science workflow and um, you know, what, what are the components of a data science workflow? Yeah, so I, I mean, data science is very diverse. So it's it's hard to pin down, you know, one workflow for everything because data science now, when, when we talk about, you know, producing data-driven processes, that's happening at all levels of a business. So from optimizing what servers you spin up in AWS all the way to optimizing your um, sales pipeline, right? So it's it's a kind of at all levels of the business, both impacting internal processes and external processes. But in general, I would say that like a data science workflow, it often involves some type of stage where you know you're doing some cleaning of your data, you're gathering data, maybe you're aggregating it to produce some sort of data set that you're working off of. And then you're doing some sort of arithmetic or processing on that data set. Maybe that's you know, statistics, or maybe that's like a convolutional neural net. It, it's some some sort of arithmetic. And then, you know, there's some sort of conveyance of those results or, you know, maybe post-processing of those results. And, and these different stages could themselves involve 
various different stages. You know, you, you might have to transform your data set or aggregate your data set in five or six or seven different um, stages or ways before you actually get a feature set that you want to use in a model. So there, there's these workflows that are, by their very nature, multi-stage. And one of the problems, you know, that I'm, I'm really seeing in, in data science and I, I think resonates, will probably resonate with the listeners very well, is that you get all these stages and then it, you very, very quickly start losing track of what's going into what. And especially if you're handing off things to other members of your team to review or to build on, they have trouble understanding, you know, the whole workflow that you intended, especially, you know, if you leave a company and then they have to build on it. Um, and so there's this real problem around workflows. And then if you add on top of that, not only that you're doing all these multi-stage things, but that eventually you actually have to deploy some of this stuff into your, you know, company's infrastructure. And that's kind of overwhelming on top of things. There, there's just this kind of giant overwhelming you know elephant in the room that that is this this workflow thing and that that's really like i said where a lot of my passion is is i think these are the problems that the data science community are is really dealing with a lot right now um i i think we have a lot of you know we're developing very sophisticated modeling techniques which is really cool and you know we should be doing that and i think you know we will continue to do that but in a lot of business scenarios, the problem is not that you're not, you know, you're not able to be sophisticated enough on the modeling side. The problem is that you actually need to put together this workflow in some way that it produces value within a business. And so I think that piece is, you know, still still got some kinks in the in the data science world. Okay, gotcha. That that's that's a great description. And so is. For example, like uh, to, I totally can imagine that Bacaderm is a is a great uh, tool and uh, that you know helps solve that problem. But is Pachyderm sufficient on, in its own to solve that problem, or does the person that's uh, faced with this challenge do, do they need to have some sort of knowledge about workflows and understanding what kind of like I'm I'm kind of getting to what kind of tips and hacks and tricks or yeah. uh, things can you recommend suggest to people who are faced with challenges like that. Yeah. So what would I recommend even even outside of Pachyderm, like you said, at Pachyderm, this is kind of our passion. This is why we're building our system. And at least we think that it addresses many of these issues. But I think in general, you know, whether whether you ever look at Pachyderm or, or not, some really best practices that I think that we should be pushing in our workflows first are, you know, kind of celebrating and striving for simple solutions to problems. The, the simplest solution that, that does provide value. So if I'm on my data team and uh, someone brings a solution to me and I'm, I'm supposed to review it and it's some, you know, very uninterpretable model that has a lot of complication and we could have solved the same problem with k-nearest neighbors or linear regression or something, um, then I'm, I'm going to have a big problem with that. Because if we can find those simple interpretable solutions, we should be using them and we should celebrate the fact when we're able to like solve a problem with a simple solution, because that by its very nature is going to be easier to maintain, easier to deploy. It's going to bring more value to the company because we're actually going to be able to accelerate that to production faster. So I think that in general is, is, a, good, is a good tip. I also really recommend to people that outside of everything else, we, we should really have, we shouldn't be making excuses around reproducibility. So um, sometimes when I talk about reproducibility, people give me a little bit of pushback because they say, oh, well, you know, now we have like these random processes and non-deterministic models and other things. And I kind of push back to them on that because I, I come from the physics world and if people kind of know a little bit about the physics world, I worked in quantum mechanics and the, the electron, you know, it may, it may be over here when you measure it, it may be over there when you measure it, it's not always in the same place, but that doesn't mean that there's a very strict theory around it, right? Or that there's not a very strict theory around it. We know exactly the, the distributions that we should be expecting. And in a similar way, if you have a non-deterministic model or you're producing, you know, more complicated models, you should 
before you ever consider actually putting things into production or or having your models influence people, uh, whether you know that's decision makers in your company or your users, you should have a very good understanding of of the range of results that you expect. And, you know, whether that's very repeatable results or whether that's a range of results or distribution, you should you should have that understanding because it's it's very important as you put put those things into your workflows that you you have a very good understanding of how they they should be behaving, Um, because now we're at a point where the things that data scientists are producing, they're they're not just like reports for salespeople or something. You know, we're deciding we're deciding which way, you know, your self-driving car should turn and we're deciding whether you should or shouldn't get an insurance policy, um, you know, and other things that are really directly user impacting. So I think, you know, having that responsibility and and really taking ownership of that responsibility, having a little bit of empathy for the end user and the people that are consuming our models is a really good practice to get into. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, gotcha. So the tips are sim- build simple solutions to make them easier to deploy, maintain, and f- get the faster to production and create reproducible solutions um, so you kind of know what to expect. And uh, and it kind of like ties into what you talk about in one of your YouTube videos that it's uh, like when your model, you expect it to do one thing, but it's doing something else, people lose confidence in, in uh, you know, the reliability of the results that they're getting. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Thanks. Thanks a lot for that. And uh, kind of like moving on to like, I wanted to touch on a little bit on Go. It was so, you know, I think through through your videos, I found out about this programming language and I I never knew that it was such a huge community. Uh, Tell us a bit about Go. What is Go and um, how does it compare to like programming languages like Python for data science? Yeah. So Go is a programming language that came out of Google and is initially was used for a lot of kind of infrastructure projects. So listeners have probably heard of things like Docker or Kubernetes, etcd, maybe InfluxDB and some other things. And it's been really useful in, in these projects, um, mainly because it's, it's a statically typed language, but it, it's very simple and the, uh, you can be very productive in Go. So engineers have found that they can be very productive in Go while maintaining kind of strict typing. The efficiency advantages of that and the integrity advantages of that. And it's very easy to deploy. So you can compile down a Go program into a single statically linked binary and just throw that wherever you want and it'll behave exactly the same anywhere. If you don't have Go installed, that's fine. It'll just run on whatever architecture you're you're running on. So that makes it very very easy to deploy. So I would say in general, you know, people kind of cling on to it because you know they can be very productive in the language. It's very simple and readable, easy to deploy. It it just uh, has a lot of nice built-in things. So for example, with Python, I think one of the reasons why I initially came to Go is doing asynchronous programming in Python is is a challenge. Um, you might have to pull in things like Python Twisted and, and other things like that, which get kind of hairy. Um, and in Go, it's, you know, I think I learned, I learned Go and implemented my application in Go in the same amount of time as it took me to learn Python Twisted. So I think that's a, a testament to, you know, just how productive you can be in, in the language. Gotcha. And um, can you explain for us what is asynchronous programming? Yeah, so like if you're wanting to do maybe like in, in modern times, we might be consuming, have, have a bunch of microservices in our organization and maybe we're consuming off of a queue like RabbitMQ or Kafka or something rather than like pulling from a database or having very uh, uh, static files that we're processing. So in those cases, you need to be able to, um, to process requests or to process events concurrently. And by its nature, Python is, is, is single-threaded. And so you can implement certain frameworks, like I mentioned Twisted, that, that kind of help you with this problem. Um, but Go just naturally has these primitives that allow you to, to handle concurrency very easily. And so it, it's very quick to implement those things. And this is being utilized also in, 
in um, packages like there's a neural network package called Gorgania, which um, utilizes these these primitives in the modeling context. And then there's packages like GoNum, which uh, listeners are probably familiar with NumPy, mm-hmm. um, but GoNum uh, is kind of similar for the Go world, a lot of numerical computing stuff, and, and they utilize these primitives. And so um, it, it's still a relatively new language, so there's not like a really great consolidation of and standardization of everything, you know, data science and, and Go. It's still like there's great neural network stuff, there's great modeling stuff, there's great numerical computing stuff, and there's even data frames. There's a kernel for Jupyter. But all of these things kind of, they're, they're scattered about the internet and they're gradually kind of coming together. The people are starting to talk to one another and, and talk about, you know, how should we, you know, we need to decide on formats for this and that. and um, so some of those things are happening, and there's a lot of momentum in that area, but right now it, it's definitely developing. Okay, some, some very insightful thoughts. And um, for somebody, just like finishing up the conversation on Go, for somebody who's never heard of Go before and um, you know, like who's uh, aspiring to be a data scientist and building a career in this space, at which point uh, or in which circumstances would you recommend looking into uh, learning Go? Yeah, so I, I would say for like a very, very new data scientist who's maybe looking for their first position, mm-hmm. um, pretty much all the data science positions, I mean, will want you to know like Python or R. Yep. So it's probably not great for you to just, you know, just learn Go and say like, I know Go. But as as data, I think maybe data scientists that are already in companies or maybe looking for new positions, a lot of new companies are maybe implementing their entire stack in Go. And I've seen this, you know, countless times where people are building their applications on top of Kubernetes and these other infrastructure um, projects, and maybe a whole company's stack is written in Go or, or a lot of it. That's a really great case for you to say, like, now we want to build some data science applications on top of things. We want to build in some modeling, some analytics. Um, that's a really great case where you can say, let me dip into this this world of Go. And I, I can definitely say that you will have a hard time. So like there's there's pretty much everything you need to do productive data science in the Go world. Um, so like I said, some of it is still developing. But if you're in that scenario, I would say, you know, take a look at the Go world, see if it has what you need. Um, and try try out Go because I think you'll be very pleased with it, and your company will be very pleased that you know it fits very well within um, the direction they're going and the engineering efforts in in the organization. Gotcha. Thank you. And and then once you've done that, you can call yourself a gopher, right? Is that that exactly? Term? Yeah, a gopher. Yeah. And if you're uh, so, if the listeners are interested, there's a website um, goferdata.io. Hopefully, someday this will be. You know, something like PyData is for Python, but right now it's mostly just a site with links and some blog articles. But visit that site. There's a link to uh, resources there and a really great listing of um, Go data science projects and different modeling packages and data frames and Jupyter and all that stuff is is listed out there. Gotcha, gotcha. And uh, the Go community is very big, right? Uh, like thousands and thousands. It, it is, yeah. There's a, there's a public Slack channel now. If you just search for Gopher Slack, there's a public Slack team. And I think, uh, actually, I have it pulled up here right now. Let me get the, the last count. So that right now, there's 16,220 people in public Gopher Slack. And so it's a very, I mean, 24 hours a day is a very vibrant community. And those are the ones that are just on Gopher Slack. So, mm-hmm. Gotcha. Understood. Okay, so thanks a lot for that excourse. And now I'd kind of like to move a bit to your background. So like our listeners are always interested in understanding how people came to data science. And your journey is, is a very interesting one because you originally started uh, as a uh, uh, in physics, you have a PhD yep. in physics, and uh, it was interesting. Like, and again, in one of your YouTube videos, you were talking about how you were analyzing how electrons bump into atoms and things like that, and what's going on there, and then how then you're applying the same. We're starting of thinking of applying the same principles to data science. So, walk us through a little bit of, of that. Like, how how did you start, and 
uh, how do, and how and why did you transition from your what you were studying in your degree to data science? Yeah, I so I started out in physics. Originally, I wanted to be a research professor. Um, I kind of got disillusioned by by some things in academia and decided to to go into industry. Um, at the time, I went into industry. You know, this was six six or seven years ago now. Um, so at, at that time. Um, data science wasn't quite as big as it is now, so it, it did exist, you know, it ex existed for a while, but it, it wasn't quite as hyped back then. And I didn't really know what I could do in industry as a physicist. Kind of the urban myth in our, you know, amongst the grad students was that some people somehow ended up in finance and made a lot of money. But that was kind of like the only thing I knew about in, in industry. So I looked around for a while. I, I got a first job with basically whoever would hire me. So I, I got a job with an IP firm as a quote unquote technical specialist. And basically what I did is I worked with a lot of data scientists and engineers and um, researchers kind of translating a lot of their mathy stuff into like normal human speak for the lawyers. <laughs> and so um, I, I felt very fortunate that I kind of landed there because actually I saw just like a ton of different stuff that was going on in industry all at once. So I was like kind of flooded with all of these, you know, really brilliant people doing all of these things at, at Google and at Wolfram and at other, you know, companies that were doing, you know, really interesting modeling. And a lot of them maybe had physics backgrounds or science backgrounds. And I thought like these people are doing amazing, like interesting stuff. You know, I, I should just do that. That sounds like a lot more fun. So that's kind of where I started, you know, exploring getting into data science. It seemed like, you know, my math math and a little bit of computing background would would play well with that that field. So I started looking around for a first data science position. I did some kind of like online um, trainings. I I did I went through the Thinkful data science course, at, which I think existed at the time and. I was paired with kind of a mentor that helped me figure out what data scientists were doing in industry and how like the different techniques they were using. And that was useful for me, not so much in terms of like learning new techniques, because actually a lot of these techniques I already knew. It was more just like learning jargon, learning like processes that like people wanted to hear in interviews. I think that's one of the real problems with people coming out of academia is, you know, oh, like, I don't understand what all this regression stuff you're talking about. But then like, oh, you're just doing ordinary least squares. I've done that like three million times <laughs> in my grad school. Um, so like figuring out like all that jargon stuff can be daunting. But that that really helped me with that. I, and then I got a position, data scientist position with a startup in Chicago. Um, I worked there for a number of years then got into consulting as a data scientist. Um, I worked on a bunch of projects, eventually uh, worked on a project with the New York Times and the Washington Post doing um, analysis of comment data, and then finally ended up uh, with, with Pachyderm as, um, you know, working on that project and, and with them. So that, that's kind of been my, my journey. No, that's, that's really cool. And I, it was interesting you mentioned that you... Uh, did uh, you had a mentor at uh, a data science mentor? Because from your LinkedIn, I can see that you yourself became a data science mentor at Thinkful in uh, 2015. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, I did. Um, I, th I think the program that they have has has changed slightly since then. But yeah, basically the th the the goal of that was to pair um, data scientists in industry one to one with students who are trying to get into data science to really give them a real world perspective on data science and also help them build up some of the skills and in, in Python and modeling and SQL and statistics to get them prepared for um, hopefully like a junior um, data science position. Okay. And, and so I did that. Yeah, I did that for a number of years. I, I had a bunch of different students and that was really a great, great thing as well. And I, this is one thing I would recommend Maybe some of your listeners are aren't like new data scientists, but they're they have some experience. Um, I I would highly recommend that you, whether it's formal or not, you know, develop some mentoring relationships where you're able to pour into other people. Because, like I said, it's 
it can it's very daunting for people coming out of academia and other fields to kind of figure out this data science world. So just giving them some pointers, maybe meeting with them once or meeting with them, you know, once a month or once a week or whatever, that that can be a huge impact on their life. Yeah, definitely. And I can attest to that, that you also through those processes, you also uh, through those meetings and conversations, you also learn yourself like you learn a lot for oh, yourself. Like, uh, yeah cover off the things that you thought you knew but you actually don't or the person that you're speaking with they always have something to offer you back even even if they don't know about it you you learn a lot in the process yeah definitely everyone has a different background and the questions that every different person asks are very different so um they 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 make you think about problems in in so many different ways that it's really it's really useful for you mm. and and for somebody who's looking for a mentor what would you say is the like the best way to to go about that? You know, like maybe Thinkful or maybe there's other platforms or other tips that you can give to people who are looking for mentors in data science. Yeah, I would say that um, there's there's definitely like the online programs, um, um, Thinkful, and and there's another a number of other you know online sort of peer to peer mentorship programs. I would recommend really uh, maybe as a starting point for people to. Get plugged into the local meetup scene. Find a good, vibrant um, data science or machine learning meetup in your in your area. Um, some meetups, you know, you'll go to like two out of three meetups. Maybe people just care about the pizza and beer that are there, <laughs> and not really about the topic. But then there, that third one that you go to, people will be really, you know, the discussion will be really good. People will, you know, be really into the topic. So get plugged into that particular one and start like. Just like put yourself out there and like start talking to the different people there. Um, get pr plugged in locally because that's that's also um, so it's going to get you maybe a good local mentorship from one or more people in that community. But it's also going to really help you as far as you know developing connections in your local community as you're trying to get into data science as well. Yep. Okay. Gotcha. Um, that's that's been very helpful, and I think a lot of people will find that useful in in their aspirations uh, for data science. Um, so now I wanted to move on to kind of like a, a bit of an interesting question that uh, like I formed as we were going through the podcast. You like kind of you moved from industry and from consulting into uh, Pachyderm now, and you're mostly developing these these really cool solutions and products that people can use to make their life easier. But how do you feel about moving away from actually doing data science yourself? Like in consulting or in, in the startup, you're actually performing data science to uh, solve business problems. Are you doing any of that now or, or do you feel any nostalgia about that? Yeah, it, it, that's a really good question actually. So um, and I think this generally, this question generally applies to, you know, maybe there's data science positions where, you know, maybe you work for a company that provides a data science platform and, you know, you're working with a whole bunch of users, but maybe not actually involved in the different companies versus like being, you know, plugged in, you know, every week all the time to the specific problems of a single company. And that's kind of you know, it's gone in different seasons for me. At first, like you said, I, I, you know, started out in the in the latter. I, you know, I was plugged into these companies, is working on maybe one specific project for a very long period of time, and really, you know, trying to develop good solutions for for that project or maybe a handful of them at at a particular company. And I think there's certain there's certain advantages and certain learning that goes along with that as far as you know, really understanding a problem very deeply and understanding specific types of data very deeply. And then there's advantages to to the former. If, if you're kind of working with a lot of different users like I am now, like yesterday I was working with image data and today I'm working with log data. It's it's a lot of context switching, but you you learn a lot about um, the different scenarios that people are actually dealing with across the landscape of data science. So for me, I think it's maybe there's some bit of nostalgia, but I think for me, it's just a it's a different season and it's a different type of learning. Um, I, I don't doubt that later on in my career, I will 
probably switch back to a season of, you know, very intense focus on a on a small set of problems, you know, relevant to a certain company. Um, and then I'll probably fluctuate back. I think for me, that kind of flow back and forth is good because it, it triggers different parts of my mind. It helps me learn different things. Um, and it also kind of gives me diversity in, in what I'm working on. So yeah, I, I think it's, I think it's just kind of a back and forth for me. Okay. And, uh, for, for somebody who's, starting into data science like completely new or who just wants to change their current career and be more focused on data science and move into data science from uh, like a, a different type of world uh, maybe it's a bi world or a database world or, or anything or statistics or uh, or even arts anything the the question i have is sh what's the best place for them to start should it be something that's heavily focused on a specific company on a specific type of work like you said you had previously or it should be something that's more diverse uh, that gives them exposure to more different tools and more different scenarios like uh, what you're doing now so i i would say probably probably the former so i i would recommend that that people starting out they they do get plugged into a company that is working on you know a a specific handful of, of problems i think that for me it was really useful to get plugged into a, a startup where, you know, I was part of, you know, initially just like a two person data team, or maybe it's like a three or four person data team. And I think those scenarios are really good for people starting out because by your very nature in those positions, you do have to, even though you're focused on the specific problems at a specific company, you, you have to wear a lot of different hats. So you're going to be forced to deploy some things yourself. You're going to be forced to um, deal with the data pipelines. You're going to be forced to learn some ETL. You're going to be forced to learn database stuff. Um, all of that in addition to whatever sort of statistical or modeling analysis that, that you're doing. So I think in that scenario, for, for a new person, I think those are really the, the essential things that you really want to build up. You want to become a well-rounded person that that's comfortable with end-to-end -end the, the data process. And, and not so much that like probably you're never going to become the world's greatest expert on MongoDB or something. Um, but, you know, you, it, it gives you a little bit of confidence to where if you go into another position or something and they say like, maybe it's not Mongo in that case, but they say like, hey, we're using Cassandra. And um, you say, oh, well, like, you know, I've dealt with data, different databases before. I've dealt with different infrastructure. Like, I, I have at least an exposure that makes me a little bit more comfortable jumping into this scenario. I think, I think that's what's important. And then later on, it's fine, I think, if, if um, to kind of jump into those consulting and, you know, very uh, diverse sets of, of positions. Um, but I think also in those positions, um, you really want to build up that, like you want to have that confidence in a variety of tooling first because you're going to be thrown into a lot of different scenarios. You have to really quickly pick up on um, those those different scenarios. So, Gotcha. And um, I'm really glad you, you mentioned that because those who are uh, following me for a while, they'll, they'll know that I, I have a different opinion on that, uh, on that question that I personally always <laughs> recommend for people to start in consulting if they're getting into data science, because that's that's the path I took. I, uh, you know, yes, I did some some work before that, but my biggest learnings were uh, when I was at Deloitte for two years, and I was just thrown into different tools, into different industries, into different scenarios. And um, as you correctly pointed out, you you don't get the opportunity to develop that all-roundedness of uh, of a data science approach. But on the other hand, you get an exposure, and you see all these different areas of data science, and you kind of understand. Uh, I feel like sure. you understand better where your career might go. But at, yeah. the, at the same time, I totally respect your your opinion on that. I think it's just two different approaches to to how you would go about starting into data science. Yeah, and, and to follow up on that, I, I think I think you're very right. And I, I, I would actually, you know, I wouldn't necessarily disagree with, with, with that. I think I think the important thing is that when you're starting out, you you you're in a scenario where you're learning a lot about 
you know, a diverse set of things. Like you said, in the consulting world, you're going to be thrown into a lot of scenarios. You're going to be forced to learn in kind of a smaller team environment. Like, like I mentioned, you're going to be wearing a lot of different hats. So you're going to be forced to learn. I think the scenario that I is maybe different than both of these is like a very large data science organization where you're thrown onto a team and like really your team, your job is to just, you know, just produce the next uh, time series model or, or, or something like that. And you don't get quite an overview like you would in either one of these other two, two scenarios. And, and big companies deal with that. And in various ways, like having a kind of boot camp sort of program or onboarding sort of program, um, and some of those work very well. But um, yeah, I think that yeah. that was my my comment there. I guess. <laughs> yeah, gotcha. No, and I agree that uh, the last thing, whichever way you approach, you take the last thing you want to get is pigeonholed, right? You won't learn yeah. anything if you're just doing the same thing. Yep, that's a great way to put it. Okay, cool. Well, thanks all for that. Um, I've got some kind of uh, questions uh, about your experience with data science, uh, kind of like rapid fire, but uh, totally feel free to go sure. into depth on them. Uh, are you ready for this? Yep. Okay, let's do this. So what uh, we already talked about it, the tools uh, a little bit. So I want to ask that one about what tools you use on a daily basis. Um, next one is what's the biggest challenge you've ever had as a data scientist? I, I would say that probably the the biggest challenge that that I've faced is more um, mindset related than tooling or modeling related. I think in when I was first starting out as a data scientist, um, as often as the case with data scientists, um, I was working very closely with the CEO, COO of the the company that I was working with. And there was very much this mindset of like let's be data driven, and also there was the mindset of like oh you know we have come to this scenario and wouldn't it be cool if we could predict this? And and then in my curiosity, I would say, oh yeah, that would be really cool. Like as a scientist with curiosity, I was like, that would be really cool. And then so immediately I would jump in to like two months of work to predict that. And then I would predict it. And then I would bring it to the CEO and COO and they would say, oh, it's cool that we predicted that. And then everybody kind of sat around and it was like, what do we do now? <laughs> and And there was no there was nothing we could do with that prediction, let's say. So like, I think the biggest challenge for me uh, has been to kind of rein in that, that mindset and really focus when a new problem comes up on asking the right questions when I'm starting out a project. You know, if I, if I produce this result, will it have actionable um, consequences? Will will it produce value within a company? Um, what form do I need to put this result in such that it produces that value? Um, that's been, I think, the biggest challenge for me. Gotcha. Okay, that's, that's, a, that's a really cool one. I, I like that. Um, next one is, what's a recent win that you can share with us that you've had in uh, your career as a data scientist? Something that you're proud of? Ah, good question. I think... Uh, um, on the on the Pachyderm side, we're seeing a bunch of wins with with our users in actually like proving out like you know larger productions scale data like data scientists actually being able to produce solutions that scale to this production size data. So on on that side, I think it's really great and valuable just to see see users actually using what you're producing in in a way that makes them happy. That's extremely fulfilling. I think that's that's a big win. But also I think a big win, like you said, I, I've been, you know, talking at a, a bunch of places. And when I first started talking about, you know, some of these workflow things and reproducibility and Docker and Go and other things, it was like I was a little bit of the odd man out. Like no one really like knew what I was talking about. And now I think like we met at ODSC and you know, this isn't like a win on my part, I would guess I would say, you know, because I didn't do this. But through the efforts of many people talking about these things, you know, people are talking about these issues now. And like that just really excites me. Um, people are talking about how do we solve these problems of reproducibility and workflows. Gotcha. No, that's that's really cool. And uh, just speaking of Pachyderm, pack, do you know why the logo is an elephant? Uh, yeah, so Pachyderm um, is... The word is a now defunct uh, classification of 
animals. At, at some point, people thought it would be great to classify animals based on the thickness of their skin, uh, which uh, turns out to be an incredibly poor um, way to classify animals. But pachyderm was like thick skin animals, which included like elephants and hippos and that sort of thing. So in one way, it's kind of a poke at the Hadoop ecosystem, <laughs> um, whose logo is an elephant. But then it's also, you know, in having a data platform or a, uh, you know, distributed processing platform, it's probably a good thing to be, you know, thick skinned and, and robust. So that's kind of the dual meaning. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. Thanks for that. And you may have answered this question in, in your previous answer about uh, your recent win. But uh, nevertheless, I'll still ask, what is your one most favorite thing about being a data scientist? For me, probably it's like it, when I was in academic, the, the academic world, I really thrived on like the creativity of the research process. And, you know, I, I loved it when there was an ele elegant and creative solution to a problem. And so in data science, you not only get that, but like in the research world, oftentimes the end goal is, you know, you write a paper and then like it's published and then maybe nothing comes of it. But in the data science world, you get to have that like satisfaction of creating a, a creative, elegant solution. But then like in addition, you get the satisfaction of seeing, you know, if you actually implement it value being produced like very immediately from that solution within the company, either for your users or internally. And I think that like dual benefit is is really what what, you know, is my favorite thing. Fantastic. So. Totally can totally attest to that. It's 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 just super great that you get so many um, intrinsic motivators in data science to you know continue doing the work you're doing and wake up in the morning. Yep. Okay, um, uh, question of the day. Uh, where do you think the field of data science is going from everything you know, from you know, all the things you see, from all the conferences you go to? Where do you think this field is going and what should our listeners prepare for to be ready for the future? Yeah, one thing that we're starting to see is data science influencing every single part of a business, um, even if that's not the sole even if you're not a machine learning company, you're thinking about data science in terms of your infrastructure, in terms of your sales pipeline, in terms of your marketing, in terms of your you know recommendations for your users. So it's it's impacting every single part of the business. Um, and so that's that's one thing I see. The other thing that I really see right now is before, like traditionally, I think for the past you know number of years, we've seen, you know, one side of of your organization be kind of like data engineering, developing pipelines and doing streaming and other things. And then one side of your organization being data science, doing analysis and modeling and that sort of thing. In in my mind, one trend that I see in the industry is really a pressure to push those sides together. Um, and this is kind of, you know, I might be a little bit biased because Pachyderm kind of sits in the in-between of those two um, sides. But I think in general, and this was displayed at ODSC because everywhere you turn, there was another data platform um, solution or a solution to help um, data scientists deal with infrastructure or deal with their GPUs or whatever it is. So I, I think there's, there is a pressure to like push these two sides together, together. And I hope that this will end up with a scenario where data scientists will have real ownership over not only the solutions that they're creating, but how those are implemented within an organization so that there's this seamless kind of flow between data science and solutions that are actually impacting the business very, very quickly. Gotcha. Thank you very much for that. And that's, that's a great um, insight, meaning that people should start kind of like if this is a new play, a new area of data science that's evolving, people should start looking into that early and start thinking about, okay, cool, if that's, you know, kind of like preparing for the, anticipating the future. Uh, if that's going to be something that's super big in two or three years, why not start learning that stuff now? Why not start getting good exactly. at it? And then when it comes, you're like ahead of the curve and you, you get the good jobs, you get the, the high salaries and you're, you're leading that industry rather than just following exactly. the trend. Cool. All right. Well, thank you so much, uh, Daniel, for coming on the show. It's been 
it's been really great uh, hearing f firsthand uh, f uh, from you about all this, uh, all these insights. How can our listeners contact you or follow you or find you or find out which conferences you're presenting at if you, they would like to learn more from you? Sure, yeah. So I'm uh, D White N A. So D White N as in Nancy, A as in Apple on, uh, on Twitter. Um, so you can find me there. Additionally, if you're on the, if you join the public Pachyderm Slack channel, there, there's one of those. You can go to pachyderm.io. There's, there's a link to it. Uh, or if you're on the Gophers Slack channel, I'm also D White N A on those, those Slack channels. So you can message me there. And then, uh, I also, um, so I'm D White N A on GitHub. You can find out what projects I'm working on there. There's a repo under there called Slides. Um, I should probably update the name, but for now it's called Slides. And under the README there, it does list out where I'm kind of going to be at different conferences coming up this year. Finally, you can go, like I mentioned, there's this Gopher data site. If you're interested in Go data science, there's a bunch of good resources there and links to how to get involved in, in that community. So there's a, a, a few different ways. Gotcha. And uh, you also have a blog, uh, datadan.io? Oh, yeah. Yep. So I, I also, uh, thanks for the reminder. So I knew I would miss, miss something. So yeah, my, uh, so if you go to datadan.io, I have a blog there where um, uh, I have a, a bunch of articles. And then I also write for, for the Pachyderm blog and a couple other places, Intel and um, YC and, and some others. And uh, is it okay for people to connect with you on LinkedIn? Definitely, definitely. Please do. Um, uh, I just ask that um, if I don't know you, just shoot, shoot me a message. That way I kind of know the context of, of what you want to talk about and, and, um, and we can connect. Gotcha. And so just uh, summarizing for everybody, because you just listed a huge amount of resources, <laughs> the best place I think to go is datadan.io because all of the links are, men are listed on the left. The Correct. Twitter, the GitHub, the LinkedIn, and you won't, you won't miss anything if you just go there and you'll see it on the left right away. Yep. Okay. Thank you very much. I just have one more question for you. What is uh, one book that you can recommend to our listeners for them uh, to become better data scientists? I, I thought about this a while, and there's a bunch of great books out there. Actually, there's a bunch of great free books out there. But I think one thing that I would recommend, and I really think that people should take a look at this. Uh, it's called Rules of Machine Learning. So it's not. It's not a. Um, it's actually not a book. It's just a document that's online. So um, if you search for rules of machine learning, Google or something, this is a document that Martin Zinkovic uh, put out, who is a research engineer at Google. And the, the premise is that these are rules of machine learning or best practices for ML engineering at Google. And it's kind of things that they emphasize there that have been distilled down for a general audience. And um, I, I would highly, highly recommend this. Um, it talks about, you know, your first pipeline. It talks about, you know, things that I things that I mentioned, choose a simple and uh, observable and attributable metric, interpretable models. Um, it talks about feature engineering and skewed uh, distributions, complex models. And um, I think it's a really great resource with a bunch of, you know, kind of uh, nuggets of truth in there. Fantastic. Thank you very much for that. So that's Rules of Machine Learning by Martin Zinkowick from uh, Google. And on that note, thank you so much, Daniel, for coming on to the podcast and sharing all of these valuable insights with our listeners. I think it was, uh, it was great. And I think a lot of people will learn so much from what you shared today. Thank you so much. Excellent. Thank you. So there you have it. That was Daniel Whitenack of Pachyderm and a uh, very renowned speaker on data science uh, so if you're interested to hear more from daniel definitely check out his upcoming speaking events which you can uh, see and at, uh, on github or through his blog you can find github through his blog and find more on where he's speaking uh, in terms of today's podcast i hope you enjoyed it and for me personally the best takeaway or the most valuable takeaway was probably like there's a lot of great things mentioned but probably the, the most valuable for me was the data science workflows and how that is becoming a growing area of data science as data science is maturing. And we, know, we all know this is happening. Like seven or 10 years ago, data science 
wasn't even a, a popular thing. People weren't talking about it as much or you wouldn't be able to get a degree in data science. But now it's becoming as a field of it on its own you know, alongside things like physics, chemistry, biology. It's being taught at universities and companies are more and more applying data science and this field is slowly maturing. And as that is happening, it is essential, it makes sense that data science workflows are going to become more and more popular. So it's a great insight that Daniel shared with us. If you're looking to build a career in data science, then looking at data science workflows could be a valuable thing because even though they might not be as popular and as pronounced right now, in two, three, five years time, data science workflows are going to be an essential skill, most likely are going to be an essential skill that you will need to have as a data scientist. And so you could be, as they say, you could be skating to the puck, like in, in ice hockey, when you know you're skating towards where the, that, that puck, that little black thing that they shoot around in ice hockey, where it's going to be. So you're skating towards the puck to catch it in advance. You're anticipating where you're gonna be. Same thing you could be doing here. You could be skating to the puck and learning about data science workflow. So when it does come into play, in big, uh, like becomes big in the world, then you already know a few things, a thing or two about data science workflows. Um, so that's uh, what we talked about today. And of course, if you'd like to connect uh, with Daniel, uh, check out his blog. Once again, it is datadan.io. You can get all of the links to his um, other profiles there as well. Also, we'll put links to all of the resources for today into the show notes, which you can find at www.superdatascience.com 61. And if you enjoyed today's podcast and you're listening on iTunes, then take a minute to rate this show and help us spread the word about data science into the world. And on that note, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate you taking the time and listening to this podcast. Can't wait to see you next time. And until then... Happy analyzing.